Greetings and welcome to the Logical Belief Ministries podcast. I'm your host, Jason Mullett. Uh, you can visit our website at logicalbelief.org. Uh, you can watch these podcasts on YouTube. You can also uh, uh, find us on iTunes, and uh, you can subscribe to our iTunes feed using your favorite uh, podcast catcher. Um, at our website, if you want to see all of our podcasts, just on the top menu bar, go ahead and click on Podcast. If you want to send me an email, um, have a question uh, or a word of encouragement, uh, just drop me a line at jason at logicalbelief.org. Just be aware, however, by sending me an email, you are permitting me to read it on the air. Alrighty, well, um, today uh, what we're going to be discussing is... The gospel itself. Now we're going to uh, go into the biblical reasons uh, for for the gospel, what the gospel is, um, and we're going to look at what is true forgiveness. And uh, so, for those of you that uh, have been Christians for a long time, and you're like, "Well, uh, I already." know what the gospel is, well, that's fine. Uh, you can also listen to this episode because for us as Christians, the gospel is everything. It's what all of this is about. It's about the gospel. The gospel should be central to our Christianity because that is what even makes us Christians. So Christians need to have the gospel preached to them all the time. I have to be continually renewed and reminded of the gospel and how God has saved and how he has saved me and how uh, we have peace with God as a result of the work of Christ and that we put our faith and our trust in him and he does save us. So uh, I want to do an episode specifically on the gospel itself. Uh, I want to add this to uh, our website. We have a page entitled, What is the Gospel? And uh, I want to add this video to that particular um, article. So what I want to do uh, to start off this episode in discussing what the gospel is, I want to give you a scenario uh, first. And we're going to examine what true forgiveness is and then compare true forgiveness to what the Bible teaches about the good news and what other religions would teach about uh, their good news or their form of a gospel. I would say that it's just as Paul said in the book of Galatians, is not even another gospel, but um, they they would maybe refer to it as a gospel or some sort of message or news about how we can be made right with God. So the scenario that I prepared for this particular episode um, involves, uh, uh, this is the particular scenario, I have an atheist friend, who uh, him and his girlfriend are coming over, to our house uh, to uh, have dinner with us and just uh, enjoy the evening together. And uh, we began to have a friendly discussion on atheism versus Christian theism. 
And um, as we're having this discussion, he uh, <clears throat> he he gets a little upset. He, he's he's a little worked up by uh, uh, where we go. I you know do a presentation of the gospel. I demonstrate to him that from his atheistic perspective, that um, his worldview is completely irrational, and he has no no foundation from which to object against the Christian worldview. So uh, he's he's a little upset by this, um, and so he's uh, he's trying hard not to show that he's upset. But um, so they thank us uh, for for dinner, and uh, they go to leave, and um, you can tell he's he's a little frustrated, but he's trying to veil his frustration. And so as he's backing out of my driveway, <coughs> he uh, he swings out of the driveway rather quickly, and he. Uh, backs right over my mailbox and destroys it. Now, I I can tell from how he he did it in his frustration that it was actually intentional on his part, but he's uh he's not acting, you know, as if it he's he's trying to act like it's it was an accident and that. So um I go up to him uh he rolls down his his truck window and he jumps out and he looks back and he looks at my mangled mailbox laying there on the ground and uh there are several things that that I will tell him I am going to uh to tell him here and I'm going to lay them out as a b c d and e now the thing that we have to understand is I have to have a mailbox. The mailbox must, by necessity, be replaced because, you know, I have to get my tax notifications, my bills. Um, it's required that I have this mailbox. So uh, it's 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 uh, necessary that I have it, and it's actually a federal offense to not have it. So I'm going to have to um, have my mailbox replaced. It is it is absolutely necessary that it is replaced. So I'll go up to my atheist friend and I will say, uh, in scenario one, I will tell him that I will forgive you. So this is scenario A. Um, I will forgive you for destroying my mailbox if you pick up the mess and you pay for a new mailbox. So as I go through these different scenarios... I want you to be thinking in your mind is which one of these scenarios is true and total forgiveness. So a is I tell him that I will forgive you for destroying my mailbox. If you pick up, clean up the mess and you pay for a new mailbox yourself. Okay. So um, scenario B is I tell him, I will forgive you for destroying my mailbox if you pick up the mess and your girlfriend pays for the new mailbox. Okay. Uh, scenario C. I will forgive you for destroying my mailbox if you help me pick up the mess and pay for part of the mailbox yourself. So that's C. Um, if he, uh, I'll forgive him if he uh, helps me pick up the mess. I'll help him, and he also helps me pay for at least part of the mailbox. Uh, scenario D. 
I will forgive you for destroying my mailbox and pay for its replacement myself if you choose to ask me for forgiveness. So if he doesn't ask me for forgiveness, I'm not going to do this. But uh, um, if he does, I will go ahead and clean it up myself. And uh, I will I will pay for uh, the replacement. And scenario E is I forgive you for destroying my mailbox. And I will pay for its replacement myself. And I begin to clean up the mailbox. So, in all these scenarios here, which one is true forgiveness? Which one is complete and total true forgiveness? Now, I hope that your answer was the last scenario. True forgiveness is if the one who is offended is also the one who pays and there are no conditions upon which that forgiveness is given out and that payment is made. There's no conditions at all. That is true and total forgiveness. And forgiveness can only be extended... Um, If the one who is offended, the one who the offense is made against, is also the one who pays. If anyone else pays other than the offended party, then it is not true forgiveness. To ask for the offender himself to pay or for another party to pay is not forgiveness. Let's look at scenario A again. So... I go up to my friend and I say, A, I will forgive you for destroying my mailbox if you pick up the mess and pay for the new mailbox yourself. Well, I would say that Islam, um, the Muslim religion, Islam, would fall into this scenario. Islam teaches that we need to pick ourselves up. We need to do the work ourselves. And we need to pay for everything ourselves. And then possibly God might forgive us. Uh, In Islam, whether God forgives us, it is is rather arbitrary sometimes anyway. Uh, The only way that you can be pretty well guaranteed of paradise is if you die in jihad. there's even hadith that say that if a man is has has one foot into heaven there's still a possibility that Allah will reject him so there's no assurance in Islam and you have to do all the work yourself and then it might be possible if uh it might be possible that Allah will forgive you and allow you into paradise So, scenario B was, I will forgive you for destroying my mailbox if you pick up the mess and your girlfriend pays for the mailbox. Now, I would say that Jehovah's Witnesses and Mormonism would fall into this scenario because the fundamental problem 
with the gospel as portrayed by uh, these pseudo-Christian cults is that someone other than the offended party is the one who's paying. Because in both scenarios, whether uh, Mormonism or Jehovah's Witnesses, the one who is offended, God, is not the one who actually pays. The Jehovah's Witnesses would say that Jesus uh, is a different ontological being than Christ, and he's actually, in fact, a created, or or, I'm sorry, that Jesus is a different ontological being than God than the Father, and that he is actually a created being. He is created by the Father, and that the Father, or that um, Jesus creates everything else um, after that, but he is a created being just as we are, and he is not the one who is offended because he is not God. And so, therefore, uh, the Jehovah's Witness has someone other than the offended party actually making payment for the transgression. This is not true forgiveness. Uh, Mormonism does the same thing. Mormonism says that um, Jesus Christ uh, and Lucifer are brothers. They are the spirit offspring of Elohim, which is Heavenly Father, and his goddess wives. And so Jesus is a different ontological being than Heavenly Father, than Elohim. And he is also the one who made payment for our sins. So he is not the offended party. And so the cults, most of them would fall into B. Notice also that in the cults, you have to pick up the mess yourself. Um, you still have to do the cleaning up. And then God will forgive you. Uh, that would fall into Second Nephi 25.23 says, for, no, for we know it is by grace we are saved after all we can do. And you also have Moroni 10.32, uh, which says, if you deny yourself of all ungodliness, then is his grace sufficient for you. So you still have to do the work yourself. Then he will extend the grace of forgiveness to you. So, as we can see, Mormonism, Jehovah's Witnesses, um, the Watchtower Bible and Tract Society does not teach a gospel of true forgiveness. Okay, scenario C um, is, I will forgive you for destroying my mailbox if you help me pick up the mess and pay for part of the mailbox. Now, this particular gospel I would call like semi-Pelagianism, Roman Catholicism, would fall into here. That God will forgive um, for the transgressions if you do your best to pick up the mess yourself and also pay for part of the mailbox. For example, in Roman Catholicism, they have the doctrine of purgatory, where you go and you pay for your venial sins so that you can be purged and you can be uh, be cleansed so that you can enter heaven. But notice how you yourself are paying for part of your sins, that the sacrifice of Christ was not sufficient enough 
in order to actually accomplish your salvation. You have to do that yourself. And this would be semi-Pelagianism uh, or Roman Catholicism. And then uh, scenario D is, I will forgive you for destroying my mailbox and pay for its replacement if you choose to ask me for forgiveness. So scenario D is very close to biblical Christianity. Um, however, it's still not quite there. And this would fall into the class uh, classification of uh, synergism uh, and even Arminianism uh, would fall into here. That I have to meet a particular condition in order for God to actually forgive me. Um, that's scenario D. And then scenario E is is biblical Christianity. I forgive you for destroying my mailbox and I will pay for its replacement. That's monergism. This is the the biblical gospel that Christ died on the cross and he actually forgave sinners. He completely forgave them. He pardoned their sin and he also made the payment. Now, notice that the necessity here of the deity of Jesus Christ. If Jesus Christ is not God, then he is not the offended party. He is not the one who was sinned against. For true forgiveness to be extended, the one who is offended is the one who has to pay. And so this is why Jesus, uh, by necessity, must be God for the gospel to actually be true forgiveness. And so I uh, hope that scenario was uh, helpful to you. Alrighty, well, um, let's next jump into um, the gospel and go through scripture and go into um, uh, defining what the gospel is and and uh, just working our way through a lot of different scripture. The first thing is, is that I believe that it is of utmost importance that we as Christians know how to present the gospel to other people. Because, in fact, if we look at the uh, uh, favorite apologetic verse um, by anyone who engages in apologetics uh, and evangelism, in First Peter 3.15 it tells us, But in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect. The hope that is in us is the gospel. And so we should be prepared at all times to present people and to people the gospel. And we also need to be prepared and to understand and know the gospel with clarity uh, so that it 
ministers to us. As, as I delved into years ago now, as I got into, this would be about four uh, years ago, got into things like Way of the Master and be, really begin to understand with more clarity the gospel uh, in preparation to give that to other people, that ministered to me tremendously. I began to truly understand with more clarity about what Christ had done for me, um, the, the desserts that, that were really mine as a result of my sin and what Christ had done in my place. And so we need to be prepared um, as Christians to always give these sorts of answers to people and give the reason for the hope within us. Uh, the first thing we're going to actually do is actually define the word gospel itself. For example, in Ephesians 1 verse 13, it says, In him, speaking of Christ, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. So notice here in verse 13 of Ephesians chapter 1, it says the gospel of your salvation. In uh, Greek, the word is yongelion, is uh, the word that is uh, translated as gospel here. And gospel specifically means glad tidings or good news. It is good news. Um, so that is actually what it means. But notice here it is the good news of your salvation. So that is what the gospel is. It is good news of how we can and are saved. So before we can really delve into and truly understand the nature and the extent of the good news is we really have to understand the situation that we are in and the actual bad news first. You know, it's the classical thing, you know, do you want to hear, you know, there, I have both good news and I have bad news. Well, which do you want to hear first? Well, before we can truly understand the good news, the gospel, is we have to understand the bad news. And we have to understand the situation that we are in. And one of the things that we, we have to, uh, before we can uh, delve into what uh, Scripture uh, says about the gospel is we have to first believe that there is a God and creator of all things. Colossians 1.16, this is speaking of Jesus Christ. He is the creator of all things. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. We'll, we'll come back to that um, here in a little bit about everything being created for him. And he has also spoken uh, to us through his word, the Bible. For no prophecy, and this is in Second Peter one twenty one. for no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So as we delve into this discussion of the gospel, we have to first understand that God is the creator of all things and that he has actually spoken to us through his word, the Bible. So, now that we've established that, let's see what the Bible actually tells us about God and, and, and what the, the, 
the first the bad news actually is. Now, the first part of the bad news, which you may be actually a little surprised by, is actually the fact that God is good. The fact that God is good actually can and does result in bad news for us. Also, because he is good is also the reason there is good news. But the bad news also comes as a result from the goodness of God. The Bible, in fact, tells us that God is perfectly good. He is not just good. He is perfectly good. In Psalm 1830, it says this God, his way is perfect. The word of the Lord proves true. In Psalm 136, one, it says, Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. And in Psalm 145.17, it says, The Lord is righteous in all his ways and kind in all his works. So God is perfectly good. And flowing out of his goodness um, comes his justice and his mercy, both. But in Isaiah 61.8, it says, for I, the Lord, love justice. I hate robbery and wrong. I will faithfully give them their recompense. So notice here that God is perfect in all of his attributes, and he's perfectly good. And because he's perfectly good, he's, he loves justice, and he's perfectly just also. In Deuteronomy 32, verse 4, it says, The rock... Speaking of God, his work is perfect, for all his ways are justice, a God of faithfulness and without iniquity. Just and upright is he. So, God is perfectly just. And so, if God is perfectly just, then he must, in order to remain just, um, he must execute justice upon sin, upon a violation of his commands. The Bible also tells us that God is merciful in Ephesians 2 verse 4, but God being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us. So God is also merciful, and this also flows out from his perfect goodness. Uh, also, another verse that demonstrates the perfection of God is 2 Samuel twenty two thirty one. This God, his way is perfect. The word of the Lord proves true. He is a shield for all those who take refuge in him. Uh, God, in his word, the 66 books of the Bible, has revealed to us uh, what his prescriptive will is for us. And these are the things that he has commanded us that we ought to do. Um It says in 2 Timothy 3.16, it says, All scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and training in righteousness. So notice that God has given us his word, um, and it is profitable for us in reproof and correction and walking in righteousness. So for us to be able to walk in righteousness, we must follow uh, the words of, that God has commanded us. Uh, we can see his prescriptive will also laid out in the Ten Commandments in Exodus 20, verses 3 through 17. 
we have the Ten Commandments. And uh, <clears throat> these commandments flow from God's nature himself. Um, these, the commands of God, the things that we ought to do, um, are not simply true um, because God just arbitrarily commanded them. Or there's a moral law that exists outside of God, which he exerts upon us. No, the moral law of God comes from his very nature. The reason, for example, that uh, the Eighth Commandment, Thou shalt not steal, exists is because God himself is not a thief. The reason that um, the Tenth Commandment, Thou shalt not covet, is God does not covet. He's never coveted anything. Um, the reason that the seventh commandment, thou shalt not commit adultery, is true is because God is not a covenant breaker. Um, in the first two chapters of Genesis, we see that we are made in the image of God. We, are, we carry what's called the imago dei. We are made in the image of God. So we are to be God's representatives on this earth. So when we so when we break his prescriptive will, his moral law which flow out of his very nature, we are to be a reflection of that nature. So when we break our covenants, when we steal, when we uh when we covet, we are saying that this is how God is because we are to be his representative. And so God by necessity because he is good. Um must exert justice upon those who do not properly represent his very character and nature. Um, <clears throat> Jesus himself also summarized the prescriptive will of God in Matthew 22, verses 37 through 40, uh, when he said that we should love the Lord our God with your whole heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and great and first commandment and the second is like to it you shall love your neighbor as yourself on these two commands depend all the law and the prophets so we need to love God with our whole heart because he is the greatest thing that exists there is nothing greater than God so we don't give our whole heart and love to God simply because as a lot of atheists will say um, he's just uh an egotistical, maniacal uh, org, you know, that just demands that we worship him. No, it's because God is loving and good that we actually must uh, worship him uh, with our whole heart and love him with our whole heart. And the reason that we must do this is because he wants the best for us. And God himself is the best thing there is. He is the standard and measure of perfection. So if we would give our love to anything other than God, we would not be exerting our love and our devotion to the thing that is greatest in the universe. We would, giving, we would be giving our love and devotion to that which is less than perfect. And God wants for us what is perfect. God desires for us what is perfect because he himself is perfect. So, when we fail to love God perfectly, when we fail to love neighbor, we fall short of God's standard. Um, 
as he requires absolute perfection because he is good. In Matthew 5, uh, 48, uh, Jesus, in fact, tells us, therefore, you, you therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. So, the thing that we have to understand is that God's standard is absolute perfection. God's standard is not man's ability. If you would look at Matthew 5.48 and it says Jesus is actually commanding us to be perfect as he is perfect. He had just gone through the Sermon on the Mount and he, did, and he was going through and describing the extent to which God's moral laws revealed in the Old Testament actually applies to us. For example, he said, Whosoever looks upon a woman and lusts after her commits adultery in their heart. He was referring to this, the seventh commandment, thou shalt not commit adultery. But he was actually explaining to the Jews the extent at which God actually looks at that. God actually examines the heart and the intention of the heart. And if we have looked with lust, we are committing adultery in our heart. He also says uh, that uh, in the Sermon on the Mount that he who hates is guilty of murder. Um, and so, so God examines the heart, and our heart must be in a state of perfect goodness because God himself is the standard of what is good. Man's ability is not the standard of goodness, is not the standard um, which God requires. God himself, in his perfect being and his character, is the standard that we must live up to. Um, it, you Now, you may say that, um, well, I can't live up to that perfect standard. I, I, I can't be perfect as God is perfect. And if that is your response, then my friend, you are very close to recognizing the truth. The truth is, is that we don't in and of ourselves have the ability to meet up with God's standard. In fact, the Bible also tells us that we must be holy as he is holy. We must be perfect as he is perfect, and we must be holy as he is holy. Holy means set apart and separate. God himself, as the transcendent creator of the universe, is holy in a way that we cannot possibly, as creatures within his universe, be holy. We cannot be separate and transcend this creation in this universe. But that is the standard of righteousness. This world is corrupt. And this world is sinful, so we, by necessity, in order to be perfect as God is perfect, we must be holy as he is holy. We must be separate and set apart from this. But we can't. We cannot do that. So how is it possible for us to meet this perfect standard? And that's where the good news actually comes in. In, in Romans 3.23, it tells us very clearly all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The glory of God is his perfection, his holiness. And we all fall short of that. Um, much, <laughs> way, way short. And so for anyone who thinks that they're going to get to heaven and their good is going to outweigh their bad, they don't understand the holiness of God. They don't understand the glory of God. 
Um, the bad news also is in Second Thessalonians one eight, one verse eight. And speaking of Jesus Christ here, um, it says, "In flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God, and those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus." Um, it also tells us in Romans three ten, "There is none righteous, no, not one." And if we are not righteous and we do not meet up with God's standard, uh, we will spend an eternity in hell where God will execute his justice upon those uh, who have not met up with his standard. In Revelations 21, in Revelation 21, uh, verse 8, it says, But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, for the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. So as we notice here in Revelation 21 verse 8, is that um, all liars will have their place in the lake of fire. Um, <clears throat> once again, we go back to the Ten Commandments. Um, the ninth commandment is, uh, thou shalt not lie. Thou shalt not bear false witness. Now, once again, going back to the character of God, the reason that the ninth commandment exists is because God is not a liar. Uh, scripture actually explicitly tells us God cannot lie. And since this is the character of God and his very nature that he cannot lie, we are to represent that. So whenever we lie and we say that something is not true, uh, say something that is untrue, we are not representing and loving God. We are not living up to his standard. And so you, if you've ever lied, you are a liar. And all liars will have their place in the lake of fire. Now, here is where the good news comes in. The good news flows out of the mercy of God, which we just looked at in Ephesians 2 verse 4. I'll just repeat that again. It says, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he has loved us. The good news, the gospel, the yangelion, the good news flows out of the mercy of God, which is sourced in his goodness. In Psalm uh, 100 verse 5, it says, For the Lord is good, his steadfast love endures forever, and his faithfulness to all generations. So, in the same way that God is just because he is good, God is also merciful because he is good. So the good news, the glad tidings, is that after I've gone through all this bad news about how we fall short of God's glory, how we don't meet up to his perfect standard, how we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, the good news is, is that the one offended, he himself, Jesus Christ, the second person of the triune God, the creator of all things, condescended himself into his own creation and became a man. And Philippians 2, verse 6 and 7, it says, speaking of Jesus here, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. So Jesus was equal with God, but he did not count that as something that he had to hold on to, but he emptied himself and took upon the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of man. And this is the incarnation. Jesus himself 
the second person of the triune God, came into the world, took on flesh. In John chapter 1, verse 14, it says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, the glory as the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. So, Jesus himself, the second person of the triune God, he came to this earth, he walked and he talked as we do. He suffered as we do on this earth, yet he never sinned. In Hebrews 2 verse 18 it says, For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. In Hebrews 4.15 it says, For we have not a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who is in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. So we notice that Jesus Christ came and walked in the flesh on this earth. He incarnated himself as God himself, the one offended, came to take care of those who had offended against him, to pay the penalty of their sin, so that they could have the righteousness of God applied to their account. Um, Jesus, as he walked on this earth, actually accomplished the righteous standard of God. He died at the hands of sinful men he created so as to appease God's perfect requirement of justice and also his perfect requirement of righteousness. In 2 Corinthians 5.21, this is one of my favorite verses, For our sake he made him to be sin. This is God the Father made him, Jesus Christ, to be sin, who knew no sin so that in him, Jesus, we might become the righteousness of God. So notice we were just talking about the righteousness of God, about how it is perfect. God is holy, and he is perfect. And in him, we can actually become the righteousness of God. That is absolutely incredible. In Acts um, uh, 2.23, it says here that, that he was the sacrifice. Um, he died in the hands of sinful men. In Acts 2.23, for this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. So the the uh, the one who perfectly obeyed the law was killed by lawless men, those who did not keep the law. Jesus himself was perfect. He was, um, he had the righteousness of God because he was God. And so his sacrifice is sufficient um, for those who are not sufficient. Um, he is the sufficient one. Jesus him all, also did not remain dead, but he rose again. In 1 Corinthians 15, verse 4, And he was buried, but and he was raised on the third day in accordance to the scripture. He um, rose again to provide victory over the curse of death that has passed to all men because of sin. It says in 1 Corinthians 15, verses 56-57, it says, The sting of death is sin, 
and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. So notice that Jesus gives us the victory over death. Uh, through his death and his suffering and his resurrection, he had victory over death. So therefore, as we just had looked up earlier in Revelation 21, verse 8, that the second death is the lake of fire. So we do not suffer the second death because of the death of Christ. The good news is this, that all who believe in Jesus and place their faith and trust in him as their Lord and Savior will find that he will perfectly save them from the just wrath of God. So if you trust in Jesus, you will be saved. Um, in Acts chapter 16, <clears throat> this is the Philippian jailer who, um, I believe this is the context of it, um, who asked Jesus, or not asked Jesus, but asked Paul and the apostles, or uh, Paul and Titus, on how they can be saved. And they said, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. So what we must do is we simply must trust. We simply must believe that Jesus Christ has saved us from our sins. Um, and all who believe in Christ and put their faith and trust in him are justified before God as if they had never sinned before God because the righteousness of Christ has been exchanged for their sin. The righteousness of Christ is the righteousness of God because Christ is God. And our sin has been placed upon him and we have been, um, and he was put to death as a result of that. And his righteousness is imputed to us. This is where we get the word imputation. Our sin is imputed to Christ and his righteousness is imputed to our behalf. Now, Jesus did not become sin in the way that he, in other words, became sinful. Um, he bore the punishment for our sin um, on the cross. Jesus himself did not become a sinful person. Um, in Romans 5, verse 1, another one of my favorite verses it says, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So, since we have been justified by faith, by believing and putting our trust in Christ alone, we actually have peace with God. Now, this is not a temporary ceasefire where war could break out again. That's not peace. Um, this is the same type of peace as the Jewish person would believe when he said, Shalom. Uh, shalom to the Jew was a peace that lasted. It was a continual peace. It was no possibility of there being war between these two parties if they had shalom. They actually had peace with one another. And so Jesus did not provide for us by being justified by faith a temporary ceasefire with God, whereas war might break out again. No, as in Ephesians 1, verse 13, it says, In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. So when we believe and we put our faith and trust in Christ, we are sealed by Christ. It says in John 6, uh, I think it's in verse 37, 
it says, all that the Father gives to me will come to me, and he who comes to me I will never cast out. So he will never cast you out. You have been sealed with the promised Holy Spirit if you believe and put your trust in him. It says, um, um, all who believe must repent and turn from their life of sin and walk in a new direction in obedience towards God. In Mark one fifteen, Jesus, when he began his earthly ministry, one of the first words that he said was, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Um, all who are also justified by repentance and faith, um, who have been justified by faith, um, are indwelt by the Holy Spirit, and uh, they will repent. They will change their mind about their sin. Their mind will be changed about their sin. They'll begin to abhor their sin um, because this is a work of God. John six twenty nine is a work of God that you believe. Um, in John uh, 16, verse th- uh, 13, it is Jesus promising us the Holy Spirit and it says in the spirit of truth comes he will guide you into all truth for he will not speak on his own authority but whatever he hears he will speak he will declare you the things that are to come so the spirit of truth the Holy Spirit guides us in truth so if someone claims that they are indwelt by the Holy Spirit but they are not being guided in truth they are not indwelt by the Holy Spirit of God because the Holy Spirit of God always guides us into truth. Um, if someone is continually being guided into error and into falsehood, then they are not being guided by the Spirit of God. So the good news is this. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved. You will find him to be a perfect Savior for you. Well, I thank you guys for joining us today hope you enjoyed this particular episode on the gospel uh, believe it and be saved and tell others the good Don't news you know god bless the unjust will not inherit god's kingdom and through adam's offense